Welcome to Music and Medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Moshe Lewis. I'm ecstatic. I'm just overwhelmed with joy to be joined by Billy Branch and his group, uh, Sun the Blues. Um, this is just such a wonderful opportunity because we have been just walking through a litany of artists who have just really paved the way. And um, Billy, your history is so incredible. I can't wait to get into it. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, well, thank you for having me. Sure, absolutely. And let's just roll back the clock a little bit, going back in time, telling us sort of like how you got started and some of your early inspirations in music. Well, um, I picked up the harmonica at a very young age. You know, I'm a professional harmonica player. I've been such for uh, over 50, about 50 years now. And um, really interesting story because you know, I'm now acknowledged as one of the recognized blues harmonica players, but I, uh, uh, growing up, I had no interest or no knowledge of, uh, of blues. And um, I just happened to walk into a Woolworths at age 10 or 11 and saw a harmonica in a shiny case and a little voice said I could play it. And I asked the clerk how much it was. It was a dollar and I bought it. And as soon as I put it in my mouth, I could play any folk melody or Christmas carol I could think of. Wow. But it wasn't until I returned to my birthplace, um, I was born in Chicago, raised in LA, of, of Chicago that I discovered the blues and the date. I know the exact date because it was uh, arguably the greatest blues festival ever produced in history. It was August 30th, 1969. And some of the performers were Junior Wells, Big Mama Thornton, Betty Everett, Muddy Waters, Willie Dixon, Big Walter Horton, Sleepy John Estes, Jimmy Reed, and like about 40 or 40 legendary names. Well, this festival was produced by Willie Dixon, and Willie Dixon is to blues what Barry Gordon Gordy is to rhythm and blues. And to show you how what an effect this had on me, this being the first day I ever heard the blues, right. seven years later, I became Willie Dixon's harmonica player in his band. Wow. So that definitely What do you think might be some yeah. elements in particular that attracted you um, and then certainly um, other people? What are the things about it that really made you fall in love? Well, you know, Chicago is the blues capital, and it was, you could hardly go anywhere in the city without hearing blues in the nightclubs. At that time, most of the blues was in the black neighborhoods on the south and west sides. But uh, the blues is just contrary, contrary to the uh, um, stereotypical belief a lot of people think it's just for old people it's sad and it's depressing it's exactly the opposite it's vibrant it's full of life it makes people dance it makes people happy and when i for it struck the chord in me so strong that i felt like everyone should hear this music and uh since then i've also been a pioneer in a program called blues in schools which i've taught youngsters uh, around the country and around the globe since 1978. Amazing. It's just been such a wonderful um, journey and it's so enjoyable to kind of walk back through um, some of those early pioneers. 
what do you feel was that key moment or when that you felt this is, I'm really here, I have to pinch myself, I can't believe I am performing with or enjoying this, this moment and I know I'm going to do this uh, the rest of my life. Well, I think when I found myself a member of Willie Dixon's Chicago Blues All-Stars uh, was, I, I, I think that could be one of those moments or that uh, key moment because Willie Dixon, although not as widely known to non-blues lovers and blues followers, is one of the most influential song songwriters of our time. Mm -hmm. um, he wrote the tunes that not only that the blues musicians recorded, like Muddy Waters and Holland Wolf and Sonny Boy Williams and Little Walter, but then in turn, he inspired the British rock invasion, which included groups like Led Zeppelin and, um, of course, Hendrix, the Stones, even the Beatles, and a whole, uh, a whole, uh, a, a lot of pop, country, and uh, stars from other genres, you know, a lot of musicians from other genres. But with the B and the, the band, and with the man who was one of the architects of the Chicago blues sound was just, you know, it was just uh, more than a dream come true. Sure. What might be an early song, it may or may not be one of your favorites, from some of those formative years, we'll call it, that um, you'd love mm -hmm. us to listen to, that you feel really kind of represents uh, quintessential Billy Branch? Blues? Yeah. Uh, the Hoochie Coochie the, the Man, <laughs> which was written by Willie Dixon, and that was one of the first songs that I had the nerve enough to try to sing, and probably the first song I ever recorded on record. Not very well, <laughs> but I did. And uh, that became my nickname, uh, you know, among my friend, I was a hooch coochie man. Sure, I love it. And what does it mean to you? Well, <laughs> you know, you gotta listen to the lyrics, you know. Uh, Gypsy woman told my mother before I was born, you got a boy child coming, going to be a son of a gun, going to make pretty women jump and shout, and the world going to know. And that's what it's all about. And I'm here. Everybody knows I'm here. I'm the hoochie coochie man. You know, on and on. I love it. Couldn't get a better setup. Yeah. Let's take a listen. Yeah. Gypsy woman told my mother. Before I was born, you got a boy child coming, gonna be a son of a gun, he gonna make pretty women jump up and shout, then the world gonna know what this all about, you know I'm here. Everybody knows I'm here. Well, I'm the hoochie coochie man. Everybody knows I'm here. Now, this is the part when I came to Chicago. This is a true story. I'm going to leave you alone. I came to Chicago. 
in the summer of 69. I didn't smoke no reefer. I didn't drink no wine. But when the summer was over, I was a changed man. Now I can turn up a bottle. And they call me Reefer Dan, but you know I'm here. Everybody knows I'm here. Well, I'm the Hoochie Goochie Man. Everybody knows I'm here. Thank you. Oh, it's so great. Like you said, I, I love bestowing that myth that it is um, uh, happy, vibrant, and positive. Um, as you moved into sort of the middle years, what do you think you noticed in terms of your maturity and the sound or song development that changed um, that you felt maybe you had even taken sort of from Willie Dixon and, and augmented? Well, um... I can speak to these times right now because what you're, and I'm, I've always wanted to write more socially conscious tinged songs. Mm -hmm. And you're seeing that across the board, actually not, you're seeing it of course in, in rap and hip hop and R and B, but you're seeing it a lot in blues now. And Willie Dixon's definition of the blues was always the facts of life. That's mm -hmm. the way he defined it. He also defied, uh, defined it, he'd say, the blues are the roots, all of the rest of America's music is, are the fruits, which is true. Everything, all the music from country, western, pop, hip-hop, rock and roll, even gospel, emanated from the blues. And um, so what I'm seeing and what I've been more compelled to um, engage in is writing songs about the challenges of our times. And there's no shortage of those right now. Um, when you hear those words, music and medicine, what does that mean to you? Well, um, music, uh, as John Lee Hooker used to, he has, has a song, The Blues is a Healer. And uh, I've been, I've witnessed, and as I'm sure you have as well, that uh, music, as they say, laughter is the best medicine, but so is music. It's therapy. You know, I've uh, seen it as long as I've been playing, even before I'm playing. Music has just the, the power to make people feel better. And sometimes it even uh, can affect them uh, physically, you know, physically uh, improvement. But uh, certainly the mental state, you know, and how many countless times have people you know, uh, uh, spoke to me and related stories of how they were brought out of depression or uh, just felt better just by coming to, to our shows. Absolutely. You've worked mm -hmm. with some of the greatest people in history. You've mentioned some of them, uh, Buddy Guy, mm -hmm. King, uh, Mr. Waters. Tell us maybe about some of the, the elements, maybe a couple of pearls that you feel you glean from those experiences, um, ways that you feel that you, you grew an inch that day, so to speak. Well, uh, the blues is a traditional music, and my approach 
coming in as uh, I didn't uh, typically historically like guys like Muddy, the greats, BB King, Jimmy Reed, Little Walter, Howlin' Wolf, Willie Dixon, Coco Taylor. You know they came from the South. They lived the blues. They li lived through Jim Crow. Yeah. They they uh, lived through. Um, uh, lynch uh, period in history where there was lynchings were frequent, you know, and discrimination, and then just hard work, uh, working in cotton fields from sun up to sundown. You know, they lived through all that. And although I didn't, I always had the utmost respect from them. That was a life lesson I learned to try to listen and learn and absorb as much as I could. Although these these uh, great men and women that befriended me over the decades were not, most of them weren't formally educated, but they were a uh, treasure trove of mother wit and information and education. And I learned so much from them. Sure. And, and it goes mm -hmm. to What are some of those calls mm -hmm. you hope? I know you were talking about the program of Blues for the Schools. Um, that you hope to impart to, to some of the young people, whether they incorporate it into music or incorporate it into their lives? What are some of the things that, that you hope and that you try to, to instill in younger people? Well, to, just to try to be respectful uh, in music, to have humility, um, to be able to listen and learn and pay attention and practice. Those are some things because Again, uh, when I came on this scene, it was like I was in the midst of royalty. Uh, Coco Taylor, I played on three of her albums, three or four of her albums. She was the, the queen of the blues. And again, Willie Dixon and guys like Junior Wells and Buddy Guy. These folks were the cream of the crop, you know, and I was just uh, felt privileged and blessed to uh, be included among their ranks. Um, we wanted to send a tremendous shout out to Ms. Anderson, who was kind to help pull all of this together um, because of a big project you've got coming up um, with uh, Mr. Darius, uh, the Mojo Project. Tell us about what it means to you and just your involvement with this. Well, the Mojo Project is a phenomenal uh, volume of work. Eight chapters of hour and 15 minutes. It's an audio drama of historical fiction, uh, including over 500 musicians, and it spans uh, pre-slavery, uh, through. Uh, it starts from uh, in Africa, chronicling slavery, the Middle Passage, uh, and then through slavery all the way up to modern times. And it is just a majestic, dynamic saga. And I don't think anything like this has ever been done. Like I say, it's historical fiction, but it is just, um, it's a phenomenal piece of work. Absolutely. And what's a good way, um, shameless plug here, that we can uh, participate in that and uh, continue to follow you? Well, right now, I know that um, uh, chapters are being promoted on 
uh, Facebook, I believe via Spotify, and uh, Edna may have to uh, chime in with me on this. Um, but, uh, and I've heard that there's in uh, talk with Sirius FM radio, satellite radio, to uh, release some of the musical uh, selections on it. I, I, you know, I really can't say enough about this project. I just feel so uh, happy to have been a part of it. The author and producer, writer, been a good friend of mine, Carl Gustafson, for we've known each other, uh, I don't know, 25, 30 years or more. And what he put together is just a masterpiece. As I said, I don't think anything of this scope has, uh, has been done before. This audio drama, I mean, you've got world-class musicians from all over the world, from Africa, some C Cuban, and of course here in the United States. And um, I'm just hoping that it can, uh, that the word, word will get out because it's a really compelling, necessary piece of work. It's got a lot of history and a lot of the focus is about African-American achievements that have been neglected um, in the popular media view. You know, they just, it, a lot of historical facts that have been suppressed are brought out in this uh, saga of Moja. Sure, absolutely. And I appreciated what you said too about this sort of time where we've become a lot more socially conscious and, and artists in all different genres are really lending their hand, their voice, their music to help augment um, our history and to also hopefully encourage our young people to learn it, understand it, appreciate it, and continue to carry the torch forward. So, um, right. so much appreciation. For right, because, because you can, you know, uh, the connection with medicine, you think about uh, the middle passage and the circumstances that the slaves were subjected to and made to eat or drink out of the same uh, trough as, as animals, you know, and the medical treatment was basically non-existent. Right. And, exactly. the, you know, they said, I don't know the numbers, but, you know, there were quite a few millions that died during that middle passage. So you can imagine the uh, untreated disease yeah. and medical challenges that they were faced with. And uh, yeah. Absolutely. No, I think that's a mm -hmm. great kind of setup for uh, this piece. And um, yeah, let's, let's keep up with this. It's very important work. Mm -hmm. So Bobby Rush, his life history is pretty much the essence of the center of our project. It's wrapped around my life, but it could be wrapped around your life, too. I, am I know what you must think of me. Whatever I have, I got by myself. A lot you don't know. In order for you to have what you have, your ancestors went through hell.
We're trying to tell the story of how American music changed being influenced by African music. The lives of these black people over 200 years are what really wrote the story. You always got to give respect to the people who create history. And if you don't, you're simply a murderer. There's so many ups and downs, so many downs. When I had tears about yesterday, I got joy about it today. This project is a healer. This a healer. And then just so we, we don't overlook it, um, something that you appreciate that sort of the younger generations are bringing to you in terms of some of the ongoing recognition and gratefulness and thankfulness. Um, mm-hmm. Have you really appreciated and sort of noted that um, your work continues to gain a broader and a wider audience even than you may have imagined? Well, um, you know, I've traveled internationally for close to 50 years as well. And what's striking to me now, well, I tell you, the biggest challenge uh, in in my field, one of the big challenges is that even though the blues is African-American folk music, we're the least likely to be the participants. Mm -hmm. And I mean that in the sense of the audience as well as the musicians. Um, uh, Festivals are mostly attended by non-African-Americans, and on many cases, the performers are non-African. They even have um, festivals that have no Black performers Mm. called blues festivals, which is like an oxymoron. You know, it's, it's, it's crazy. But in recent years, I've been encouraged by the slow but steady trickle of young African-Americans into the fray. Uh, one young man who stands out, he's getting a lot of play, he just won the Grammy this uh, this past uh, season, and that was uh, Kingfish, yes. Kingfish Ingram, yeah. And uh, he's phenomenal, I know him. I've actually uh, recorded on his first uh, recording, but uh, there's, Guys like King, there's Shamika Copeland, who her dad, Johnny Copeland, was a uh, notable blues singer uh, and guitarist, but she's the reigning queen of the blues. Shamika, I guess, is, I guess, maybe in her 40s now, but we're starting to see a slow but steady trickle of young African Americans. And I'm very, uh, does my heart good because. Again, the, the you know the blues is is been it's it's where all the America's music came from, but yet it's the most neglected. I mean, when you turn on television, you watch the BT Awards, the Soul Train Awards, NAACP Award. The word blues is not even mentioned, mm-hmm. and it 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 is it, something that to those who have loved this music and played it for so many years and strove for wider uh, exposure, it's been very frustrating for us and very disheartening to see that our own people, the ones who created this, 
have not yet seen um, the uh, been compelled to embrace it and promote it. Right. And uh, hopefully, uh, in my lifetime, hopefully that will change. Sure, absolutely. I just want to draw that point out a little bit without uh, trying to be um, negative, but. Do you sense that um, sometimes in the word itself blues and then through um, the church that this concept of this being something that was relatively negative kind of really grew? Or is it really, since you did mention, you know, Mr. Gordy, just a, a monetization that other parts of uh, the culture basically got more money put behind it? Well, yeah, did the blues always has had the stigma as the devil's music, and you'll hear many accounts of uh, famous, renowned blues men talking about when they'd have to uh, go under the house or sneak away with their guitar or their harmonica because if their daddy or their mama caught them, they'd get their butts whipped for playing that devil music. But um, again, yeah, that, that is part of it. And, and again, the stereotype is, you know, some old guy on the porch or drinking a bottle of whiskey or wine. You know, Willie Dixon used to tell me that, and I learned so much from him because he was a philosopher as well and very smart, uh, very uh, perceptive man. And he would say that we got tricked into disliking our own music. We'd pull up to venues uh, when we travel on the road and you see a line of people around the block waiting to see Willie Dixon and Chicago Blues All-Star. He said, you know, boss, back in the day, your people used to line up for the blues like that because it would be all white people lined up. Yeah. You know? What's a um, good song that you would like to highlight that has spoken a lot to your heart or do you still enjoy performing uh, to this day? Mm, oh, there's so many. Uh, one of them is called You Gotta Help Me. I Can't Do It All By Myself, which was co-written by Willie Dixon and uh, was a big hit for Sonny Boy Williamson number two, Rice Miller. But that's, that, it's a very, basically it's uh, Green Onions with lyrics. You know, Booker T in the MGs is it's the same musical pattern, but with words. But that, 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 that it says a lot in those, those simple phrases. You got to help me. I can't do it all by myself. You got to help me. I can't do it all by myself. You got to help me.
wonderful. Well, I'd be remiss um, without making sure that we touch base with just some of your thoughts and enjoyment that you had uh, performing with people like B.B. Uh, King, uh, Muddy Waters, um, Buddy Guy. Well, B.B. Uh, King, I got to play with him, I think it was on his 80th birthday in his hometown of Indian Indian Indianola, Mississippi. Right. And I've all, I, I got to play with BB on maybe three occasions in my entire life, but that time was real special because it was his birthday. He called me up, and I got to play with him for about over half an hour, and we have it on videotape. So that was a real special moment. Um, uh, with Muddy, I got to sit in with his band on I think two times. And, uh, of course, Muddy was the godfather of Chicago blues. B.B. King referred to him as the godfather. And, uh, mm, I mean, so many, so many, you know, I'd recorded with Lou Rawls, but I'd never performed with him. But uh, guys like Lonnie Brooks and Coco Taylor and Sun Seals and Junior Wells and on and on and on. Those are all just magical times sure such a, a wonderful history um we're going to see if the powers that be uh exist those that help pull us together see if we can find that videotape and maybe even if we just have the video um but hopefully we have the sound um see if we can create the power of magic because uh we believe in uh, letting the good times roll and and keeping uh, these memories alive but so many of these people and their music have spoken to our hearts and just like you said i think part of our challenge is the younger crew and younger generation is to reach out, connect, even if it's virtual, until we can meet in person and publicize yeah. and uh, proselytize the benefit of uh, really understanding more about our culture, our history, and this music. Uh, and on that note, yeah. that you all are doing um, this Dojo project, I think is so um, emblematic of that. It's so important for us to really understand our history and to, to well, really um, yeah, because that, I think, you know, also, Dr. Lewis, I refer to the blues as the soundtrack of African-American existence in this country. Mm-hmm. And um, that is another reason the Moja Project is so important, because it imparts so much historical information. Yeah. and the reason that we are so challenged as a people, especially our youth are just, you know, so lost and, and just uh, in some cases so self-destructive because we don't have that tangible uh, knowledge of our great history, the great history that 
you know, the great contributions that we've given to this, this country on, on every aspect from science, technology, and of course, the arts, but all of that has been uh, virtually erased, omitted. And the Moja project is uh, a vehicle to include a lot of those great contributions and historical contributions that were overlooked and omitted. Sure. Uh, and there's one song that I do sing in there uh, and it's called, Nobody Wrote It Down. Mm -hmm. And the title says it all, right. Nobody Wrote It Down. Well, I think that's a great note to go out on. Um, I want to make sure we take a listen, but uh, not forget to uh, do a big shout out to uh, Chris Bridges, Edison's, um, and you, Billy Branch, for being so giving um, over five decades of service to music and the appreciation for young people. I didn't even expect you to, to do a shout out to some of the young artists today. And, and I think that's just so nice and so representative of, of your entire legacy. You've always given back gone back to schools, continue to teach, continue to pull up the kids behind us, not only by showing them our history, but like you said, doing the, it. Th th thank you. Before we sign out, Dr. Lewis, can I just add a, yeah, uh, yeah. a, a quick, uh, I, I, I want to make an appeal mm -hmm. to those musicians, especially those high profile musicians that they need to come back and embrace the blues and recognize the cultural, uh, uh, the cultural value and the legacy of this great music. Because again, it is the music gave birth to all of America's music. And until we embrace it on our own, we cannot complain that it's being co-opted by people that don't look like us if we're not doing anything our, ourselves. So I'm, I'm uh, as I said, I was optimistic about the interests of young African-American uh, musicians, but I'd like to see more participation on professional entrepreneurial level of those folks that have the means and the ability. And this is what we need right now in the blues. We need that because, again, we, we, we see festivals that are called blues festivals with festivals with no black musicians on it. And that is insane. Yeah, but, you know, if we're not willing to embrace it, you can get mad at someone else for, for seeing the, the value of it. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I appreciate you highlighting that. And um, we're going to do our part for sure. And more importantly, um, the Mojo Project is something so important to really help us take this historical journey through music um, and understand sort of where we're going. Yeah. Now, now, if you have time, yeah. I'll tell you that one little anecdote about mm -hmm. how the music uh, was very instrumental in health. Sure. Yeah. Uh, and and like I said, I guess you're editing this, so I guess you can cut out. What you don't, what you don't need, right? Yeah. It's all okay. But well, um, uh, about seven or eight years ago, a dear friend of ours, who was a musician, and ironically, um, you you know the song "Bad Bad Le Leroy Brown." <laughs> 
course, yeah, it's baddest man in the whole damn town. Yeah, well, he was a real person, and yeah. he was a good friend of all of us in Chicago. He's, he was Leroy Brown, and he and Jim Croce were army buddies. Mm, okay, sure, and I know Croce's work. My and, dad's named Leroy, yeah. so I know any song with the name Leroy in it. <laughs> Uh, say that again. Yeah, my father's name was Leroy, so I know any song with the name Leroy. <laughs> Is he bad? <laughs> no, his middle name's Brown, so let's put it that way. That was his last name. Well, anyway, so Leroy Brown had gotten very ill. Mm -hmm. And um, my wife and I would go visit him in the hospital, and his, he kept deteriorating. Um, uh, I think it was a form of cancer, but it got so bad that he couldn't really speak anymore and he could barely have any movement. So one of his relatives informed us that she needed power of attorney to be able to take uh, control of his assets. And if she wasn't able to do it, then some woman that Leroy knew or had been dealing with uh, was going to take all of his possessions. And she was not really entitled to it, but uh, that's the way it was. And so the problem was Leroy had gotten so weak, he couldn't sign his name so we go visit with my wife and I and cousin and he couldn't sign it but I would take my harmonica and play for Leroy you know and sometimes we'd get a, a slight reaction maybe a smile or you know uh, but he was nonverbal at this point and my wife noticed <laughs> that when I played the harmonica, his hands started moving. Mm. And I don't know if it was an effort to clap or what, but long story short, we came back with the power of attorney form mm. and with a little assistance, very little with his, with his uh, from his cousin, I played the harmonica and I kept playing it, and he was able to move his hand enough to sign that document and give her power of attorney so his assets weren't stolen from him. Wow, yeah, and it's interesting you bring up the story because this is actually something that I see on a relatively regular basis, not the music component of it, but yeah. uh, this whole power of attorney, musician, and making sure that families yeah. are protected and not other interests, we'll just put it that way. Um, so, uh, no, I'm glad that you were able to uh, experience that. But yeah, that's had a pretty uh, impactful medical story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I didn't even notice it. My wife noticed it. She said, did you notice Leroy's hand? I said, well, no. So she said, let's go back and try one more time. And I played and he signed his name. Wow. Yeah. Well, like I said, this has been such an amazing opportunity for us, and um, we just appreciate you working on this project so 
willingly and to give of your heart and your time and like you said to really do that historical look back and and this great collaboration uh, the Georgia project represents um, we will continue to plug it promote it listen and more importantly um, help include you know our listeners in turn to appreciate the music of the blues I think it's so important. right on thanks so much <laughs>